Welcome to Total Convexity, a weekly financial podcast that caters to professional finance individuals, high net worth investors, family offices, and other sophisticated financial professionals. Join our hosts, hedge fund manager Jim Wang and Henrik Neohaus, as they explore the interconnected world of global macroeconomics, central banks, and capital markets. Comprehending the intricate web of global macroeconomics, central bank policies, and capital markets isn't just an option, it's a necessity. Whether you're a chief investment officer, financial analyst, entrepreneur, or simply someone curious about how the global economy and capital markets function, this podcast serves as your compass through the intricacies of the global financial landscape. In each episode, we will delve deep into the influential factors shaping our world, from global economic trends and central bank policies to capital markets and trading strategies. We will demystify financial jargon, clarify complex numerical data, and provide you with insights from experts in the field. Hi. This third episode of Total Convexity is being recorded on, on October the 13th, 2023. I'm your host, Henrik Neuhaus. Joining me is my co-host, Jim Wang. I'm glad to return to this third episode of our podcast. In the first episode, we discussed our investment framework and analytical framework. We recommended new listeners, uh, we recommend new listeners to review the first episode first, because then we lay the foundation for the future episodes. In the second episode, we discussed interest rates and uh, treasuries and concluded that the recent sell-off of treasury securities represents buying op- a buying opportunity for investors. In today's episode, we thought it would be helpful to, dis- to discuss the U.S. dollar. Jim, what do you think? Yeah, sure. That's a great idea. For macro investors like you, currencies are one of the more impactful tools for you to, with which to express your views. For multinational corporations, managing currency exposures is, is one of the important functions of the treasury departments. Asset allocators and domestic investors, however, do not seem to pay much attention to currencies, in my opinion, other than helping them making hedging decisions on overseas investments. You, however, Jim, think that understanding currency markets and the US dollar cycle is very helpful, even for long-term asset allocators. Could you expand on that? Uh, Yeah, sure. So because US dollar has a very special status in the international currency uh, market, which is reserve currency. So because of that, um, the US dollar uh, cycle is very important for different asset classes. And obviously, you know, the, the currency movement against each other also are very important. But uh, most of the world trade uh, transactions are denominated in U.S. dollars. Commodities are denominated in U.S. dollars. Financial transactions are denominated in U.S. dollars. And the reserve currencies are mostly held in U.S. dollars. Therefore, the overall liquidity uh, of the U.S. dollars will drive the asset class, you know, economic performance and also the perform, overall performance of a financial asset. In addition, the US dollar, the relative strength of US dollar against the other currencies also will determine the relative performance of different asset classes. 
Uh, finally, uh, currency sometimes can also offer as a leading indicators of the real economic development in some countries. Uh, and uh, that will help allocators to understand what's going on in that country. I, for example, we have talked about, you know, in the recent uh, US uh, in a hiking cycle, where US dollar have significantly outperformed the rest of the world, with exception of Mexico. I mean, you will be very surprised. The Mexico currency actually was stronger than the US dollars um, since the US started tightening the monetary policy or hiking the interest rate in the past two years. And uh, we talk about, um, you and I have discussed in the past, and I think there is a quietly secular shift you know, behind the scene that explains that. Uh, and we can talk, you know, that's a side topic. We can talk a lot on that in the future on the episode. Um, and uh, finally, I also think that, uh, um, you know, that when we talk about currency, uh, we're talking about fiat currency, right? One currency versus the other. And I also consider gold as a currency. And, uh, and understanding the fiat currency, the drivers behind them, and it will help understand the role of gold in the portfolio construction, uh, both as a technical play or a strategic play, which we think that in the future, it can really become a strategic part of the portfolio. Uh, and so I think understanding the currency is really important, especially understanding the US dollar cycle. Right. Now, I believe that one reason many asset allocators neglect the currency markets is that they think that the currency markets are notoriously difficult for getting right directionally in the short perspective. Do you agree? I completely agree, especially when you mention in the short term, because the currency market, there are so many players in the currency market, right? There are people who need to do international trade, so they need to settle the trade. And, uh, and also, you know, foreign direct investment uh, in different countries. Uh, and uh, there's also portfolio flows. At the same time, there's a hedging um, transactions for multinational companies. Uh, and obviously there are speculators who are trying to uh, make money out of this. And a lot of currency, you know, traders are short-term in nature. So therefore it's very noisy uh, and, uh, and it's, uh, it's not easy to, to get a to get a direction di directional right, you know, day to day, hour to hour. However, the the currency market are actually really have fundamental drivers, and if you think about it, is really supply and demand for a specific currency. And if a country run a surplus, meaning you export more and import less, naturally there will be demand for your for your own currency in the long run. At the same time. They, um, you know, at the same time, you also have a capital flow where, you know, there's be foreign direct investment, find, uh, you know, interesting, uh, attractive investment opportunities, long-term investment opportunity in a particular country. So there will be increase of foreign direct investment. Uh, at the same time, the, the portfolio flow also is important a part of the supply and the demand. And uh, a lot of time that is driven by the real interest rate differential. In other words, the currency the, the currency will seek a uh, higher uh, interest higher interest rate after inflation. So those are the fundamental drivers uh, in the long run that will drive the relative performance of the currency. And obviously, 
from our perspective here, because of the unique role of U.S. dollar, the U.S. dollar cycle uh, really, uh, really is is really important for the long term, uh, even for the long term asset allocators and also you know um, domestic investors, even though they do not trade currencies. And um, so, should we talk about U.S. dollar cycle then? Sure, absolutely. Uh, okay, so well, most people are familiar with economic cycle, right? So they are now less familiar with the uh, U.S. dollar cycle. Um, but actually, U.S. dollar also follow um, distinct cycles. So I have a um, I have a prepared a presentation chart here. Uh, let me just flip to the first page here. So let's just look at the most recent uh, examples here. So, and this is from 2020 to the current uh, time period. The top panel is US dollar. The panel in the middle is the total return ratio of S&P 500 to MSCI EFA, meaning to the non-US development market. And the lower panel is the total return ratio of S&P 500 to MSCI emerging market, okay? So if you look at them, they're almost, you know, the same chart. Uh, and uh, as we know, Fed stock hiked the interest rate in the past two years, and that's the key driver for the U.S. dollar when it's significantly high, um, all the way to October uh, 2022. And then we have a temporary drop of the of the interest rate, and the U.S. dollar weakened a little bit. Uh, and uh, during that time period, during the time period when the U.S. dollar was 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 strengthening, as you can see, the U.S. S&P 500 was outperforming the non-U.S. DM market and the EM market uh, from October to um, to March, right? And uh, for the brief time period when the U.S. dollar was declining and the U.S. asset was underperforming Europe and underperforming emerging market, until recently. The U.S. dollar strengthening again, and the U.S. U.S. Um, equity market uh, have started outperforming uh, developed market and the emerging market again. Um, and uh, if we look beyond a little bit longer horizon, it's actually the same thing. So let's zoom out and let's talk about the U.S. dollar cycle. So in our framework, we have three distinct U.S. dollar cycle. So one U.S. dollar cycle we define as Easing cycle followed by a high tightening cycle. Okay, um, so you can see from uh, the um, 19, you know, 1960s, 70s, right, all the way down to 1980s. That's the easing cycle, 1980, um, and uh, and to you know towards to the middle of 1980s, and that's a tightening cycle, and then all the way down to the um, um, in the, all the way down to the, the mid of 1990s, um, and that is a falling cycle, and then it's a rising cycle again after that. You know during the peak bubble, so that's the second U.S. dollar cycle, and the third U.S. dollar cycle was starting from you know burst of tech bubble, and uh, it became U.S. dollar um, has you know was falling all the way down to uh, financial crisis. And then the last, and then we followed by a rising US dollar uh, since 
the uh, the burst of financial crisis all, all the way up to right now. And we think that uh, we are towards the end of this US dollar cycle. Now, it still have some room to, to run. This is a very long term. So we are saying we are towards the end of it. Um, you know, still there is a horizon of uh, maybe eight to 12 to eight to 12 months. And we will talk about more details in this during this transition period. So, um, you know, it, it's useful to review uh, the history. Um, the, you know, in 1971, um, Nixon announced uh, the deepak of U.S. dollars from gold, right? Effectively ending the Bretton Woods monetary system post uh, post the World War II, and uh, after that, U.S. dollar have a significant decline. Uh, as you can see, you know, U.S. dollar declined from uh, in the U.S. dollar index declined from 120 all the way to 90. That's 30 percent of decline. Um, you know, from from the beginning of from 1971 uh, all the way, um, you know, down to um, the 1980, uh, right? So during that time period, Latin America countries take off, okay? And that is a Brazilian economic miracle. Uh, even during the military dictatorship, and the Brazilian economy was growing 10%, um, you know, per annum at, at the, in the early 1970s. Uh, and uh, so they, they gained a nickname of, uh, of you know, uh, Latin American economic miracle. Then it came in 19, um, and then you, you know, as you know, during that time period, we have a very, in the US, we had a very high uh, inflation. And then Volcker hiked interest rate uh, to 20%, right? First in 1980, and then again in May 1981. And that really killed inflation. And uh, so, you know, after the significant tightening of the interest rate and uh, after they killed inflation, um, the real interest rate in the United States has gone up a lot. And that push up the US dollar, um, you know, that's push up the, the US dollar uh, higher, starting from 1980s, right? All the way to 1980, um, I was 1985. Uh, it has gone from 90 to 150, right? So like three quarters, three quarters of, three quarter of, the, uh, uh, of, the, uh, of the increase, right? And what happened? So yes, you can see this 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 easing and uh, and uh, and the uh, falling and the rising U.S. dollar is associated with the boom and bust of the other non-U.S. economy, especially is the emerging market. Now, in 1985, uh, we had a Plaza Accord, and during that time, because not only emerging market was Latin America was booming, and the Japanese was 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 gaining significant you know market share, and so was Germany. So the U.S. was running large, um, you know, a trade a deficit. So they had a plus accord in the forcing um, the um, forcing U.S. dollar to depreciate uh, in within less than two years, right? Um, you know, as you can see from chart, uh, U.S. dollar index um, fell from 150 all the way down to 90, right? Back back to 90 again, um, and that's the second kind of marks the second kind of US dollar cycle start. And during that time, water was booming. 
right? It was the Asian tigers, right? So during that time, Singapore, Taiwan, um, Thailand, Malaysia, and all these countries were starting to take off. Now, all those good days ended, uh, not because of, you know, a lot of theories that, that, that people were created for them, but the rather Alice Greenspan started raising the interest rate from 3% to 6% uh, in 1994, right? And that caused the bond massacre. And by the way, the magnitude that we have, the sell-off, the magnitude of sell-off during that time, although it was called the bond massacre, uh, is nothing like today. Okay, and during that time, you know, you you probably heard. Uh, I don't know. You were you still with with the Solomon Brothers? Um, it was 1994, right? Orange County went went bust, right? So you probably heard about those, you know, those stories. And after that, you just have a, a you know. So so then you come the the U.S. dollar rising cycle, right? From 1994, you know, all the way to uh, to the tech bubble, U.S. dollar was rising, and that is associated with a series of financial crisis, right? So first we talk about the bomb massacre, you know, Orange County went, went, went bankrupt. And you have Asian financial crisis during that time, right? Uh, all the Asian currencies start with bust. Uh, and then, the, 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 the you know, the contagion went to Latin America and then later on went to Russia and then long-term capital went bust, went, went bust right? Although during that time, Alan Greenspan said, you know, this is an irrational exuberance but that did not prevent him from cutting the interest rate after, you know, after the the, the debacle of long-term capital. So Fed cut the interest rate in the second half of 1998, uh, and uh, you know, and then later on the, the Fed raised the interest rate from in the 1999 to 20, 2000, and uh, that basically resulted the end of the end of the of the rising market uh, cycle and. Uh, and uh, and you know started the um, the you know initiated the tech bubble right so so that during this time period right there is a significant outperformance of the emerging market right as you can uh, 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 as you can see and then obviously after the uh, after the um, you know after the U.S. dollar rising cycle and uh, the you know the uh, the U.S. assets started outperforming significantly again now. The third U.S. dollar cycle really started after the tech bubble. So Fed lowered interest rate aggressively uh, after the burst of the tech bubble, uh, and uh, that resulted in the falling U.S. dollars. And the falling U.S. dollars resulted in, guess what? Boom, again, overseas, and especially in the emerging market. And as you can see from 2000 into uh, you know the financial from two to, from the uh, 2000, um, uh, 2001, 2002, and uh, all the way to the uh, 2003, um, U.S. asset significantly underperformed non-U.S. asset, especially relatively emerging market, and that is the golden age of emerging market. And guess who came out of that? It was China, right? China became the economic miracle. Uh, and during this time period, uh, there is, you know, the, uh, the U.S. dollar was depreciating significantly. And obviously, China also benefited from um, the timing was also perfect. They just, you know, joined the WTO uh, during that time period. So then we came the rising dollar cycle. And that, that, that you know, I would argue 
and that really started in 2011, okay? Um, and uh, although US dollar, you can see here, it bottomed up in uh, 2009, uh, and uh, 2008 actually. So, uh, but the real US rising dollars, the real US dollar rising cycle really started in 2011. Uh, and then that marked the significant outperformance of the US asset versus the rest of the world, especially against the emerging market until today. So as you can see, that uh, understanding the US dollar cycle is very important and not only, uh, not only from currency perspective, but also from the global asset allocation, global asset allocation perspective, in the sense that uh, rising and falling US dollar was driving boom and bust of the global economic cycle, and uh, obviously also drive the relative performance between the US asset and the rest of the world. And from that perspective, that I can, that I, I think that uh, we are towards the end of this rising uh, US dollar cycle started in 2011 and uh, coming to the end of this dollar cycle. And uh, in the later, um, and the later on, I, can, I think we can touch upon how this transition from the rising US dollar to the falling US dollar would play out. Uh, right. Well, well, yeah. Jim, thank you. Well, thank you very much. That that, that was uh, that was a very uh, pow powerful <laughs> overview, actually. Um, yes. So so it's very clear that that uh, having a good grasp of the US dollar cycle is is important for global investors, even if you don't make explicit currency bets. It's it's all incorporated. Now, however, how would you make use of these insights, even if your investment mandate were to be purely domestic? Say that you uh, run a um, domestic US uh, equity mandate or something. Yeah. So obviously, you know, I think implication for global asset allocators are obvious, right? And if your investment universe is domestically driven, and I think it is still very useful. Uh, first of all, I think it's the overall level of uh, US dollar, it reflects the US dollar liquidity. So therefore, the, most, of the, most of the cases with the US dollar depreciating, that is conducive for the higher uh, financial asset. And thinking also you can think about that is because, what, because the financial assets are denominated in US dollars. So if the denominator was coming down, then the overall ratio would go higher. Um, I think that's the first implication. And uh, therefore you do now want, you want to invest in financial assets when the US dollar was falling and even it's domestic, US uh, domestic asset. And the secondly, second implication is that because of the rising US dollar, because, because the US dollar um, is, you know, is very important for the global trade, so therefore, it will create a discrepancy between different sectors that will benefit from this and uh, sectors that would not benefit from this. So, for example, if you are importing a lot of you know materials um, into uh, into the U.S. Uh, and your cost would increase higher, and that is going to hurt you. And uh, conversely, if you export, and uh, you know that you know the the, the 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 falling U.S. dollars may help your competitiveness. So, I, I think therefore it's important for the security selection purpose uh, as well. 
Uh, and as you know, a lot of financial analysts, when they analyze the, the company's balance, you know, company's revenues and the profitabilities, and a lot of time they do not take into the currency effect. But in the end, actually, currency effect explain a significantly you know, profitability of companies, right? Do you agree, Henrik? No, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, okay, so we know the dollar is important, uh, obviously, um, and we have a fundamental analytical framework really for navigating and, and understanding the, the dollar cycle. So given that, could you talk a little bit about where in the dollar cycle we are right now and and uh, where, where do you think we're going in the next uh, few years? Yeah, so I think I talked with this at the very beginning, uh, like during our previous conversation, I say, you know, I already said we are towards the tail of this rising U.S. dollar cycle, and we are about to end the next dollar cycle, which will come down, and obviously there will be transition period. And why I'm saying this? And this is because the U.S. dollar cycle also follow a certain pattern. And obviously, the U.S. dollar cycle, you know, first of all, is driven by the U.S. monetary policy. And when you have a higher interest rate, especially higher real interest rate, money will come to the United States, I mean, versus the rest of the world. And higher real interest rate is typically driven by strong economy, and especially is driven by productivity, right? Uh, and uh, so the, so, so I, you know, the chart I show here is the US dollar, US dollar uh, index on the top and the Fed fund rate at the bottom, okay? As you can see, the falling US dollar and the rising US, US dollar is closely related to the hiking cycle and easing cycle. Obviously, they may they will have a little of a time lag. That's because typically the US dollar cycle, the US dollar will, will sniff out the expected Federal Reserve, a uh, Fed Federal Reserve a monetary policy, and they may move a little bit a little bit earlier. Um, and the lagging, you know, how far they will move earlier, you know, it can be a, a few quarters, right? Um, to a little bit more than that. So if you look at that. Um, you know, we can look at the, uh, the last, you know, last cycle, say, for example, um, as you can see from, um, you know, burst of tech bubble, right? The Federal Reserve cut interest rate all the way down to um, was one and a half percent, right? Uh, and the uh, U.S. dollar was falling on that, right? Uh, and uh, from 2004 to 2005, so... The U.S. dollar was rising, and that's because to 03, right? Because the Fed was aggressively, um, you know, raising the interest rate, right? Um, although from, um, you know, like the Fed continued to raise interest rate in 06, and the U.S. dollar already started to fall, right, during that time period. Um, so, and, and there was any anticipation of a Fed pause, uh, and the Fed did pause, right? And then Fed started to cut interest rate and the US dollar continued to fall, right? And then recently, if you look at the recent kind of, uh, you know, more kind of acceleration of the US dollars um, from, nine, you know, uh, 2016 to 20, towards the end of 2018, right? US dollar was rising. And more recently, most recent is an example, right? 
from 2022, uh, 2021, right? Uh, being, uh, end of, you know, from, from, two, from uh, you know, in 2022, uh, we had a very aggressive, you know, hiking uh, interest rate hike. And therefore the US dollar was accelerating to the upside. So if you really look at the history, right? And uh, if you look at, you know, previous time period, you can see it's really uh, the same thing, right? Um, so, so the US dollar cycle is closely related to the interest rate cycle. And you can say that with a different kind of, with a little bit of, of, uh, of, of, uh, of lag, and not lag, actually it's a little bit forward where the US dollar is anticipating the, the hiking cycle or the easing cycle of monetary policy of the Federal Reserve. Uh, and uh, where when you have a tightening uh, cycle, U.S. dollar typically, you know, will rise. When you have an easing cycle, the U.S. dollar will fall. And because we think that we're towards the end of the hiking cycle, and that's the key reason that we think we're towards the end of rising U.S. dollars, right? Obviously, the U.S. dollar, we're obviously, you know, the, when we talk about the U.S. dollar versus the rest of the other currency, You've got to understand the U.S. dollar, U.S. monetary policy against the other countries, right? Uh, fortunately, because the U.S. Uh, you know economy, economies, the you know the you know economic growth is really the engine of the growth of the whole world, and because of the unique uh, you know uh, characteristic of U.S. dollars, where you Federal Reserve typically lead the monetary policy. Uh, so when the Fed Typically, it's the one start to 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 you know to to hike interest rate uh, and uh, and the cut interest rate versus the um, the global right uh, economy. Obviously, we cannot generalize from time to time. There is also uh, kind of dispersions, um, divergence between um, the uh, the uh, different countries, right? So I think this one will be um, interesting um, to explain uh, a little bit about. And the uh, where we are, you know, um, you know, kind of in terms of U.S. dollar cycle, by just looking back, uh, you know, you know, the past kind of, uh, you know, in our current U.S. dollar rising uh, time period. So if you can see here during this time period, right? So this is uh, basically on the top is your U.S. dollar versus a ten-year uh, kind of real interest rate differential between U.S. dollar minus European. Uh, 10-year real interest rate. So real interest rate is defined as a nominal interest rate minus inflation, right? So we know the Fed start, you know, the current interest rate down to zero in 2008. And really the hiking uh, really started in, uh, in, in, in 2016, right? But in between the US dollar started, has started rising. And, uh, and, and in between you can see is really driven by the interest rate can be explained by the interest rate differentials between the U.S. and versus Europe. As you remember, that um, uh, after the uh, so when I say the the the, the tight the, the rising U.S. dollar really started in 2011, uh, and uh, and I think the key thing was during that time. Uh, first of all, before that, um, I would say you know once you cut the interest rate to zero. And, uh, you know, Fed essentially easing the monetary conditions using QE. 
So every time you conduct QE, uh, basically US dollar fall, you stop QE, you stopped QE, and then US dollar rise, you know, started to rise again. Um, I think a 2011 is a key point of the monetary divergency because first you have the uh, economic, you know, you know, in 2012, you have economic coming and from 2012 to 2014, um, Japanese yen have a significant, you know, depreciation, right? Uh, and that's the time that the U.S. dollar was was starting, you know, significant rising. Uh, and uh, I use European, you know, kind of interest rate differential here is because Europe is the biggest component of the U.S. dollar index. But if you graph this versus Japanese yen, uh, you know, graph this is 10-year uh, U.S. interest rate versus Japanese interest rate. Um, and our U.S. interest rate was significantly higher than Japanese interest rate because of uh, the economic uh, in, in Japan, because of the QE in Japan. And then after that, in 2014, as, you, as we know, the ECB started to uh, start the QE, right? And you can see the real differential from 2014 uh, onward uh, start to accelerate to the, to the upside and the US dollar start to accelerate significantly to the upside, right? So that's the second, you know, that, that, that was the key driver uh, for, the, um, for, the, for the rising US dollars. It was really because of the easing, uh, first in Japan and then ECB. And then at the same time, um, the U.S. started tapering. If you recall, U.S. started start tapering a monetary policy in 2014. So, so that's why I say that really the U.S. dollar rising cycle really started from 2011. And that was explained um, by a rather more tightened monetary you know, policies in the United States than Europe and then, then in Japan. And uh, so obviously, um, you know, I think, you know, it's from the big picture perspective, it's easy to say uh, that uh, rising, uh, you know, kind of a tightening monetary you know, policy in the United States, especially against uh, the, uh, the other countries, uh, major countries, will drive the U.S. dollars. Okay, and in the current status, if you can look at Japan, really they are stuck at a zero interest rate. They cannot raise the interest rate even they want to, and there's a special case which we can talk about on that. And you in in Europe, we see there's a temporarily, um, you know, uh, kind of uh, uh, in you know tem tem temporary increase of economic activities. I would say last year. Um, because of the stimulus they handed out um, to the um, um, to deal with the energy crisis, right? And uh, and that explained partially um, the 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 you know the the the, uh, the euros was slightly stronger than the United States uh, since starting from October uh, all the way to the um, you know the Q1 uh, this year. But if you look at this um, and uh, I would say the transition period also it is very important, right? So typically, uh, I think in the you know I using this one I used the previous cycle uh, as an example, but if you, you look at tech bubble and time period is very similar. So I, I have a three panel here. On the top is U.S. dollar. In the middle is the high yield spread, and at the bottom is U.S. Treasury two year rate. Uh, high yield spread is more 
kind of indication of the um, of the risk uh, for the for the risky asset, which basically is a credit and and equity. When the higher spread goes higher, and typically the the risk asset goes down. Uh, and a two-year treasury is typically an uh, indication of a short-term monetary policy, right? Uh, and then you have U.S. dollar on the top. So if you look at if you look at the 2003, right? Fed start to raising interest rate, two-year interest start to rise, uh, and uh, that's the time uh, U.S. dollars start to rise, right? Uh, and like I said, in anticipation of easing, uh, in anticipation of pausing of monetary policy. Uh, U.S. dollar actually start to fall in 2005-2006, okay, and uh, and start you know start to falling. Now, during the 2000 and during the 2008, right, uh, and uh, although if you look at this graph, although the two-year interest rate continued to fall, right, U.S. dollar actually was rising from 2008 to 2009, and that's because we have we have the um, we have the uh, subprime crisis. So U.S. dollar also have another property, which is safe haven, uh, and uh, so this can be explained. A lot of people explain this as a kind of a dollar smile, meaning when the U.S. dollar when, when the U.S. economy was doing very well and the Fed was tightening monetary policy, and, and therefore the Fed was able to tighten monetary policy, then the rest of the world. And that is the time the U.S. dollar is very strong. And once the U.S. dollar, once the Fed tightened the monetary policy conditions long enough, tight enough, until something break, and then during that period of time, when the things are breaking, that's the second time the U.S. dollar will will rise, and that's driven by flight to safety. And once the once once those things is broken and the Fed came in and aggressively easing the monetary policy, uh, and uh, that's the time we will have uh, e we will have U.S. dollar falling cycle that the you know start of the falling U.S. dollar cycle, and uh, and I think the history probably will say this will probably you know repeat uh, again, right? And uh, um, let's see. Um, I think here this is this chart is not very you know is not very clear you know is this is also uh, you, you can see this right because we have a rising interest rate from two o six you know two o sixteen to two o eighteen, all right, uh, and the U.S. dollar was was, was rising right, and uh, you know after. You know, two year actually was starting to fall before Fed, you know, kind of uh, start to cut interest rate, right? In 2019, Fed, you know, power have uh, have have a pivot, right? Uh, and uh, after the S and P 500 had uh, had a big decline, uh, and uh, uh, fast forward to 20, you know, during the uh, during the pandemic, right? And uh, although you know Fed was cut interest rate back to zero again. Uh, and the U.S. dollar actually was rising uh, for a short period of time, until you know the you know for a short period of time until uh, it realized that uh, you know the the you know the Fed has done enough, uh, and uh, monetary you know there is also fiscal easing. So basically, both physical authority and the monetary authority have done enough 
uh, to contain the crisis. And during that time, US dollar started to fall, right? And this recent rising of US dollar, as we say, is really driven by the, you know, the, 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 the fast, you know, the most drastic tightening monetary policy as I have, as we have discussed. Um, and then I would say this cycle probably will follow the same. Um, that, uh, you know, one can say here is that October last year, um, that may be the peak of the U.S. dollar because that basically in the market sense that, uh, um, and especially in March this year, right? The mar you know, the market sense that, um, you know, the, uh, the, the, the monetary policy obviously is, has, is, is tight enough and, uh, and there's not much you can go higher, but however, you can stay for longer uh, to break things, right? So, so I think the U.S. dollars, U.S. dollar, you know, you can use the uh, last uh, October high as really as a reference point where that could be the peaking point. Um, when I say could be peaking point, can we, you know, can we look at, can we take a look at that previous peak again? Yes, possible. Uh, and uh, and that especially will really depend on the risk. You know, I, I would say we will come another lag. So the first lag is driven by tightening monetary policy in the United States. I think that is that is happening right now. That has happened, and that's still happening right now. And especially, I think the recent the rising U.S. dollar was really driven by two things. And uh, basically, Fed, basically one is market reprice for interest rate to higher uh, for longer, right? So reprice for the tighter monetary policy. At the same time, it is obvious the European economic growth was falling, right? And uh, and the Europe cannot, cannot tighten the monetary policy as people were expecting. So you put these two things together, that has resulted in the recent rise of the US dollar. How high can this go? Um, I say, you know, it can continue to go a little bit higher. However, um, you know, they may have a brief period of pause. I would say the next major move is not going to be driven by the tighten monetary policy, but rather is going to be driven by risk off. In other words, the tighten monetary policies and will result in the next down cycle and probably will result in a severe sell-off of risk asset. And during that time period, US dollar probably will have the final lag of rally. Now, how much that, that rally will be and how long will that last? It will really depend how Fed come in here to ease the monetary condition in reaction to the asset prices decline. And I would argue, and this time can, can run a little bit longer. In other words, because of the high inflation, it will really require things to really, really go down a lot. In other words, unemployment really have to accelerate to the upside and uh, at the same time, you know, the financial asset price really need to have a drastic decline in terms of speed and the magnitude for the Fed to take action. So therefore, you can argue the last lag of the U.S. dollar uh, kind of rise um, during the safe haven, you know, flight to safety uh, that time period can last a little bit longer than normal time period. 
So after that, and I would say the Fed will come in here and it will start aggressively easing uh, monetary policy. Then I will think that it will mark the start of the next US dollar cycle, okay? And uh, what's the implication for the global asset classes? And I, I just, you know, I just shared that a chart. The falling US dollars will, will, will falling US dollars will create a global boom. And this time, pick your favorite EM countries. And I would say, I mentioned, uh, will be those countries who are gonna benefit from the delinkage of the uh, supply chain to China. Okay, so those will be India, and especially Latin America, Mexico, and, uh, and the Latin American countries. So I will not be surprised. So in the next five, 10 years, right, we will have another economic miracle coming out of those countries. And that will coincide with the start of the US easing US dollar cycle, the next US dollar cycle, which I think is gonna start within one to two years. However, in the next, in the next, you know, um, I don't know how long, a few quarters, maybe two or one year, uh, and uh, maybe 12 months, maybe, you know, uh, 15, 15 months. And uh, during this transition period, and I think the U.S. dollar can still go can still go higher, um, you know, as a stable haven demand, uh, maybe can come as soon as the next few quarters, right? And uh, I think if this is the time. I think the U.S. you know the, the monetary condition is tight enough, uh, enough to break things, and um, uh, and I and I think the accident can happen anytime uh, in, in the in, in the future. So so to summarize, I. You know, it's uh, basically we think we are towards the end of rising U.S. dollar cycle that is started in 2011, and uh, we are at the we are will enter the transition phase from uh, the rising U.S. dollar cycle, U.S. rising U.S. dollar period into the next dollar cycle, and during the transition period, and typically, uh, the U.S. dollar will have the last leg of rally during the risk of environment as a safe to have safe to um, you know safe to quality play and then after fed aggressively easing the monetary policy once the market deemed that the easing measures are sufficient enough then the us dollar will fall and that will mark the end of the rising cycle the beginning of the next cycle wow that was a lot thank you thank you very much um well, and then, of course, <clears throat> let's see what happens with geopolitics. It could really bring some surprises. Now, the fact that the uh, U.S. dollar is the uh, dominant reserve currency clearly is an um, integral component of the U.S. dollar cycle. However, recently, I'm sure we all have seen um, news, uh, seen the headlines, heard the pundits talk about the U.S. dollar gradually losing its dominance as a reserve currency. Uh, we have China and Russia very publicly talking about this, uh, joined in by, by the rest of the BRICS and, and some wannabe BRICS. Um, and they're trying to come up with alternatives to use their currencies or some combination of their currencies to settle global trades. So China, for example, is, is actively promoting its currency for international trade settlements. So, Jim, do you worry that the U.S. will actually lose its 
dominance as a reserve currency. And what do you think might be the timeline for Tristan for this transition? And if so, how would this impact the dollar cycle? Uh, yeah. So Herrick, I, I have a I have a learned to stop worrying about anything. So I'm not worried about the things that I cannot control. So I do not worry that US will lose the reserve currency status. However, I do think this is a very interesting topic and is widely discussed by the medias and by the pundits. Um, and uh, what I can say here is that it's unlikely the US, the US dollar will lose its reserve currency status within, you know, within the time period that you and I invest right now. However, from a long-term trend, the US, the you know, the, the trend is not favorable. And the reason for that is because a is is because of the unsustainable nature of the fiscal um, you know situation in the United States, where you really need have natural buyers. You really need to have a you know have a have have, have, a, have a buyers to come in and uh, and, and buy. Um, you know the the, the the newly increased the fiscal you know trade you know kind of a debt securities as a result of the physical deficit physical. Uh, otherwise, you have to monetize your own uh, you know currency as a reserve currency. You feel you can monetize your own debt as Fed has been to QE without much you know consequences, right? Um, but this can only buy you time. Uh, and uh, things can change too. I mean, you can have the other emerging countries like India and the etc. And then they can still rise, and they will partially fund it. But in the end, the U.S. fiscal situation is just not sustainable, uh, and uh, that will erode um, the the uh, you know um, fiscal dominant you know kind of the U.S. reserve currency. Interesting. I read an article, and I forgot who wrote this, so I, I do want to credit the author, but I. I forgot who uh, who wrote this article, but basically they have interesting things about these interest expenses uh, versus the defense. Once your expense on the on the interest of your debt exceed your defense budget, uh, and that's the indication of the fall of <coughs> excuse me of the empire. And that apply to um, you know Roman Empire, and also to uh, and to uh, to Great Britain as well. So, so from that perspective, it's it's not the same. Um, but uh, but I would say you know you know China and Russia and all these country, great countries, although they are trying to basically replace the U.S. dollars, but it's going to be very hard and it's going to take a long time, and. Uh, and the reason for that is because they can use them as a transactional currency. However, you know, you know, transactional currency is different than the reserve currency. So the um, the 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 other countries, once they get Chinese renminbi's, right, they have to convert into U.S. dollars to buy treasury, because there's no way they will go there and buy the Chinese debt and the Chinese domestic asset, and uh, the capital account is closed the capital account anyway. Um, but things can change, and uh, and we are at the really beginning of that journey. 
Um, and for the time being, for the but but I think the investment, you know, we can talk about that. But the practical implication for our investment is not practical at this point of time. And the U.S. dollar and the currency still going to be driven by the drivers we have discussed before. Okay, Henry, what do you what do you think? Well, um, well, it will take a long time, right? Um, and, and anyway, one of the problems is that um, everyone else um, to achieve something, they, they have to trust each other, right? And I think we are some ways away from that. Um, so, looking to the future, this is about drawing to the end of this, uh, drawing to the close of this this episode. So, looking to the future, people argue. Many people argue, propose. Oh, obviously see that digital currencies uh, will gain popularity. Um, it's almost a historical inevitability, right? So how do you think about the impact of cryptocurrencies, if any? Uh, for example, it's entirely possible, even probable, even probable, that one day we'll see central bank digital currencies. In fact, the Chinese central bank, the People's Bank of China, has already started to test out an, an early version of the digital renminbi, completely setting aside issues whether one is or should be or could be comfortable with such tools. Do you have any thoughts on how a future digital dollar launched and managed by the Federal Reserve might impact the U.S. dollar cycle? Uh, it sure would be an easy channel for distributing helicopter money again, if it ever came to that. Jim? Uh, yeah, Henrik, so you mentioned a lot of questions, okay? So I, I, I try to re remember all of them and uh, and address them. And by the way, I am not an expert in the digital currency, so uh, my my knowledge and comments can be uh, superficial. Um, but here is how I look at it. Um, you know, the digital currency, people use it interchangeable for a lot of things. And uh, as for cryptocurrency, it serves for a purpose where the cryptocurrency, I think they do have natural demand. And the reason for that is because of the decentralized nature. So the, the whole purpose of decentralized um, you know, uh, in the currency is basically to eliminate in the intermediary, right? So that, uh, so that uh, they can conduct the transactions without being known, right? And because of that, there is a natural demand for that. Um, Say, so, you know, so the cap, some capital, you know, the usage part of the one of the usage can be to evade the capital control. Um, so you can also heard a lot of people, the drug dealers will use it, right? Um, the, um, you know, the, uh, the war, uh, you know, criminals who want to, uh, are terrorists who want to evade the sanctions, then they may use cryptocurrency um, to, to evade the sanction, to evade the control, right? Uh, and obviously you can carry you can carry gold, right? But physical carry carrying physical bar bars of gold is very cumbersome and very difficult to do, uh, and you can get caught, right? So, so that's the you know that's why there will be natural demand for cryptocurrency, and where the supply and the demand is also not controlled by the central banks, right? It's not controlled by um, any specific entity, but rather than uh, than the computing power, right? Uh, of that particular currency. Uh, that particular cryptocurrency. Obviously, you have a lot of you know uh, different you know cryptocurrencies. Um, but if you are talking about the central bank digital currency, 
And then that's a different thing because it's not decentralized anymore. It's basically still going to be the currency where the supply and the demand is controlled by the central bank is just in a digital format. And that is also difficult, different than the digital transaction, right? So if you think about digital currency is a digital transaction, then we already have it, right? Because we, we can, we do not use, we, you need to use the paper, a physical cash anymore. We use credit cards, we use the debit cards and uh, uh, all the phones, right? And, uh, you know, electronic apps, right? So, so that is actually already, uh, already here. Now the digital, uh, you know, central bank digital currency, where is really the digital identity of the currency. Uh, think about you have a physical, you know, kind of a, you know, dollar note where you have a serial number, right? And that can be basically have a digital identity that can be tracked by the central bank. So the 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 the, the central banks really know every dollar, uh, where is where it goes. Who you know what the, the entire transaction right by the aggregate and then they obviously know where's the where where's the demand and uh, where's the spend and uh, and all the details of that uh, and uh, and I would say if you think that uh, you know the people are gonna open a direct kind of account with the central bank circumvent the entire banking system uh, and I think it is highly unlikely because the the reason for the banking intermediary here is really for the, uh, for the commercial banks to make uh, economic decisions on to allocate the capital, they need to assess uh, when they make loans. They need to assess you know which loan is attractive versus the, their funding cost, right? Where that's not the job of the central bank. So I would say you know from that perspective, I do not think that we will go that uh, we will go that route. And uh, obviously, in terms when you know during the crisis, you know. Uh, the central bank can do a lot of things. And like you said, you know, the digital currency will enable them to basically, uh, you know, credit everyone's account uh, to, um, you know, to hand it off the money and that's more efficient than the banking system. Uh, or for, for what other matters, just debit account, debit your account because they do not like the things that you were doing. Right? And that will be a terrible thing to do. But, uh, but we know the central bank is basically the lender of the last resort, okay? They are not the spenders of the last resort. And when you make a central bank the spenders of a last resort, then we will be worse than Argentina, right? So I do not think that, you know, although there are a lot of people talk about this, I do not think that is the way that we're going. However, I do think using the, you know, the dollar for the digitalization of the, of the, of the, of the currency transaction is a major trend uh, and how the central bank will uh, use that uh, digital identity per se. When I talk about digital identity per se and how to use it, uh, I think that's a diff completely different matters to discuss. Okay. But anyway, I think it's remote enough for 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 us to discuss uh, for the practical implications of an investment decision. Thank you, Jim. Very insightful. So we're now at the end of our third episode, and here are two concluding points the way at least the way i see them currency movements can be analyzed just like assets such as bonds and observing the interdependence between changes in the values of currencies and changes in the values of other assets can give us valuable insights how the markets express expectations and how central banks react 
The second point is that even if you do not trade currencies explicitly, understanding currencies and the US dollar cycle will help global investors allocate capital better. And even if you only trade domestic US assets, having insights into the dollar will strengthen a weaken, if the dollar will strengthen a weaken, can inform your valuation of domestic assets, uh, your valuation of domestic assets and your assessment of the relative performance of domestic asset classes. So that's my takeaway. Jim? Uh, yeah, that's a great summary. Uh, Henrik, so tell us where the listeners can follow us. Yes, absolutely. Um, you can follow us by searching Total Convexity in your favorite podcast app or via YouTube. Please don't forget to click on the subscription button, button so that you will be automatically notified when a new episode is available. You can also follow us on X, which used to be Twitter, where we have the handle at Total Convexity. And you can email us at totalconvexity at gmail.com. Finally, you can follow our insights on Substack at totalconvexity.substack.com. We promise never to spam your email box or to provide any sort of, sort of advertising or marketing. And we're not going to try and sell you anything. All we're giving you is our honest take on the markets, right or wrong, and we'll try and make it short and sweet. Anything else, Jim? Uh, no, that's it. Thank you, everyone. If you like this podcast, we would appreciate if you can pass along to anyone who may be interested. This concludes the third episode of the podcast. See you next time. Disclaimer, the information provided in this podcast is for general informational purposes only and should not be considered as financial advice. Consult with a qualified financial professional before making any financial decisions. All investments involve risks. There are no guarantees of profits and investments may incur losses. The contents discussed in this podcast is not a recommendation for any specific investment. Past performance does not predict future results. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are their own and may not necessarily reflect the views of the hosts or affiliated parties. The podcast host and guests may have financial interests in companies or products discussed, and listeners should be aware that the opinions expressed by guests and their hosts may reflect biases. We strive for accuracy, but financial information can change rapidly. The content may not always be up to date or complete, so verify information independently. This podcast does not offer legal or regulatory advice, and listeners are responsible for ensuring that their financial decisions comply with applicable laws and regulations. Mentions of specific financial products or services do not constitute endorsements. Perform your due diligence before engaging with any financial offering. Listeners are fully responsible for their financial decisions and the podcast's guests, hosts, and affiliated entities are not liable for any financial losses resulting from actions taken on based on the provided contents.